This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. excited about tonight's message as we finish up the fruit of the Spirit. We've been going through the Galatians uh, verse by verse on Sunday night, so grab your Bibles, turn to the book of Galatians chapter 5, uh, if you would, as we finish out our uh, study of the fruit of the Spirit, and uh, next week we'll uh, move on, and I finish out Galatians 5, then I'll move us into Galatians chapter 6. I was hoping to finish out the uh, book of Galatians by the end of the year, doesn't look like that's going to come to fruition, but... We'll finish it up in the book in the month of uh, January for sure. Uh, I'm excited about that. Galatians chapter five. <coughs> if you missed any of the message so far, uh, as we've gone through the fruit of the spirit, I'd encourage you to get caught up on our website at whoecall.org or subscribe to our podcast uh, or download our smartphone app to your phone or your tablet. Either way, and stay caught up. As we take a look at the fruit of the spirit, there's nine virtues that uh, the apostle Paul talks about that make up the fruit of the spirit. Uh, we'll take a look at those tonight. To understand the fruit of the Spirit, we have to first contrast the uh, works of the flesh. Does anybody tonight need a Bible, a bulletin, or a pen before we get started? I forgot to mention that. Uh, our ushers have Bibles, bulletins, and pens, and they were waiting for me to announce that. Uh, and so if anybody need one of those tonight, a Bible, a bulletin, or a pen? If you don't have a Bible, grab one from our ushers. If you need something to write on or write with, grab one of those from our ushers too. Right, get um, one right over here, ushers. Anybody else? All right, great job tonight, fellas. Galatians uh, 5 is where we find ourselves to fully understand the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We need to contrast that with the works of the flesh. Uh, So we'll take a look at Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse number 19, and we'll go down through uh, verse number 23 tonight. Galatians chapter 5, starting verse number 19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. Uh, All five of these are uh, sexual sins uh, that um, are utterly, utterly destructive. It goes on to uh, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I've told you in times past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, verse 22, is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, Against such there is no law. Now, verses 19 through 21 are really important because he goes on to say this, that those which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, some, somebody, if they were just to read these three verses right here and take them completely and totally out of the context of the rest of the Bible, they could come away with the idea that as long as I don't do these things, I can still go to heaven But us going to heaven and our eternal life is not based on our behavior or our ability to stay away from certain prescribed sins. It comes from the fact that we must put our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. 
All of us were born in sin, the Bible tells us. All of us have sinned against God, the Bible tells us. This list of sins in verses 19 through 21, none of us is innocent of all of them because this is the work of our flesh. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, and because of our sin, we've sinned against the holy God. When we die, we'll be judged one day according to our works, the Bible says. And if you're judged and I'm judged according to our sin, there's only one answer for that, and that is God's punishment in a real place called hell that burns with real fire. Now, hell's a real place that we go because we've sinned against God. It's the default destination for every human being on planet Earth, but God doesn't want you to go to hell. God doesn't want you to be separated from him forever, but your sin must be punished. And God sent his son Jesus to take the punishment for you, to die in your place. That's why Christmas is such a big deal for Christians because it's the time that God became a man for the purpose of paying for our sins. It's a big deal for us, and that's why we uh, celebrate it so, uh, with, with such joy and excitement, because God became a man to pay for the sins of all those that would believe in him, but that's the key. While his, sin, while his sin payment was enough to cover the sins of the entire world, it's only applicable to those that put their faith and trust in Jesus as their Savior and for me, I was a nine-year-old boy when I put my faith and trust in Jesus as my Savior. And God saved me as a nine-year-old boy. Now, I haven't lived a perfect life since I was nine, but I have lived a life knowing for sure that my sins are forgiven and that heaven is my home. And if you're here tonight, you don't know for sure that you're saved. You're not 100% sure that your sins are forgiven. Know this, God loves you, Jesus died for you, and he's the only way to heaven, the only way to find forgiveness of your sin. But as a nine-year-old boy and anyone else who would put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the moment of your salvation, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit came to live inside of you. Uh, John uh, chapter 14, 15, and 16, Jesus talks about what the Holy Spirit will do for you. He'll guide you into all truth. He'll remind you of the things that Jesus has said. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit will pray on our behalf when we don't know what to pray exactly. The Holy Spirit will guide us away from error and he'll guide us into truth. The Holy Spirit will comfort us and here's the great part about Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. The Holy Spirit will produce good things inside of you. Now, verse number 16 is really important because he says here, um, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. I have to choose to give myself over to the Holy Spirit's work in my life. I cannot continue to live in my own sin and then expect the things that come out of verses 22 and 23. I can't disregard the Bible or disregard the things of God and continue on my own path, doing my own things, doing the things that take places in verses 19 through 21, and then expect to get the things that come from verses 22 and 23. It doesn't work that way. You can't walk in the flesh and then get the fruit of the Spirit. They're mutually exclusive. So I have to deny my flesh. I have to do what Paul says in crucify the lusts of the flesh. He says a little bit later in this chapter here, and I have to pursue after the things of God. That's what we have to do to see the fruit of the Spirit in our life. Now, though, if you take a look at verse 19, the works of the flesh are manifest. That means it could be a multitude of any of these sins. But if you notice verse 22, it says the fruit of the Spirit. It's singular here. There's nine virtues that he lists here that collectively make up the fruit, singular, you can't have one without the other. You can't say, well, I'm a very loving person. I just don't have any joy. Then you don't have the fruit of the Spirit. You're missing parts of it that are really important. 
So as we take a look at this passage here tonight, by way of review, we'll take a look at uh, the ones we've taken a look at previously, and then we'll jump into the last two that we find on our list here today. First of all, the first one listed here in verse 22 is the uh, virtue of love. This is a lifestyle of placing other people before myself. Uh, This means I put other people ahead of myself. We took a look at that uh, this morning's message. That's the, the story of how Jesus lived his life. He put other people first, and love is not an emotion that I feel. It's a lifestyle that I choose. I choose to put other people before myself. Next is the virtue of joy. Joy is happiness based on spiritual realities. It's not based on my material circumstances. It's not based on how much money I have in the bank. It's not based on are things going my way. It's not based on my health or my prosperity in any way. My joy is based on the fact that I know that God is in charge. I know that God has forgiven me. I know that I stand right before God and I can have joy. I can have happiness based on those spiritual realities. I can be facing the darkest days of my life yet still have joy because joy is not based on my circumstances. It's based on the goodness of God and the spiritual truths that we find in the Bible. Next virtue that we find here is the virtue of peace. This is comfort, knowing that everything is right between me and God and everything's as right as I can make them between me and my fellow man. This means that I don't have any ill will towards another person. I'm not angry with other people. I don't have any enemies in my life or people that I think harm against Everything's right between me and God. There's no unconfessed or uh, unrecognized sin in my life that needs to be made right. Sometimes we can be guilty of harboring sin in our life, thinking to ourselves, nobody knows about it. I'm gonna cover it up and act like it doesn't happen, but all that does is destroy our peace with God. And the Bible says that God knows all things and all things are open and naked before him and he sees everything that we do at every single juncture in our entire life and there's nothing hidden from him. But as long as we try to harbor sin in our life, it'll destroy our peace. Harboring bitterness towards another person will destroy your joy. So we need peace. Now again, these things don't come about by just trying to do better or work a little bit harder or trying to change your mindset. These things come by the way of the Holy Spirit at work in my life. We can't produce these things on our own. These are not organic. These are not natural. They're supernatural. They're created in our life by God, not anything that you and I can work up on our own. Now, we can shut down the supernatural work of God in our lives and see these things quenched by the sinful nature that we have or the sinful patterns that we employ in our lives, but you cannot work these things up on your own. The next virtue that we see here is long-suffering. Depending on your Bible uh, translation that you use, it might have a different word, maybe patience in there. Patience really doesn't uh, give enough oomph to the word that's meant here, long-suffering. The Greek word used here is the word macrothumia, means long-burning. Long-suffering is the ability to endure hardship, difficulties, or some type of pain or unhappiness for an extended period of time. Today, uh, we were uh, on our way over to the baptism over at Magic Island. And rather than finding a good parking space to park in, I was in a hurry, I was impatient, so I parked illegally in a place that wasn't even a parking spot. You know why? Because I wasn't patient. Now, if you look at that and, and, and correlate that with long-suffering, long-suffering is a little bit different. Long-suffering, we're talking about not being inconvenienced for a moment or 10 minutes or 20 minutes. We're talking about being inconvenienced for days, weeks, months, maybe years. And the word patient in that 
that sense falls a little short from long-suffering. It's literally the ability to suffer long. Again, this is not something you and I can just work on ourselves. It's the Holy Spirit at work inside of us. Next is the virtue of gentleness. This is a disposition of being warm-hearted and considerate. Uh, This is me being kind-hearted towards another person. When you see how Jesus talked with people, when you see how Jesus treated others, and the compassion that he had towards them, we find that in the terms of uh, gentleness. Goodness, on the other hand, is not necessarily disposition, but it's actively doing good and living a life of moral excellence. When we think of goodness, this is always doing the right thing and going out of your way to practice this virtue. We're not good in our own mind or good in our heart towards other people. We actually actively do something about it and we're seeking to do good. The next uh, virtue that we find here is faith. could also be translated faithfulness. This is being loyal and trustworthy. Uh, This goes back to having integrity and being a person of your word. This is a person that's able to continue to do what they're supposed to do time after time, day after day, week after week, month after month. If you embody the virtue of faithfulness, I should be able to look you up 20 years from now and you're still in church, still faithfully serving Jesus, still walking after your faith in a real tangible way. Anybody can be faithful for a couple of weeks. That's easy. We need to be faithful for a couple of decades. But that decision we make is a decision to walk with Jesus one day at a time. As we get into these uh, last two virtues that we find in this list here, I would just encourage you, commit these to memory. This is a really good checklist. How am I doing in my walk with God? How am I doing in my relationship with others Do I have a spirit-filled marriage? If so, you should be able to check these off. Like, yep, got that one. Yep, our house is a house of love. Yes, our marriage is a marriage of joy. Yes, the peace is found in our home. Yes, there is goodness, temperance, meekness, faithfulness. All these things are at work in my life. Or if you're like me, you look at this list and you go, ooh, got some work to do in these areas. This identifies a glaring area that I need to really put some effort into this week. And that's the idea is that God's word would shine a light on us. It would be a mirror that we hold up to ourselves and say, hey, how am I doing in this area? And I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, so I'm thankful when God gives us a checklist like this, we can just kind of check stuff off and see how we're doing. I don't have to wonder like, hmm, I wonder what it means to be like Jesus. No, we got a list here who perfectly embodies all nine of these virtues and perfectly shows us what it looks like to be walking in the Spirit, Jesus Christ. And we can go to verse after verse and place after place in the Bible where we find the embodiment of these virtues in the person of Jesus Christ. And so if you want to live like Jesus, just live a Spirit-filled life. And again, when the Holy Spirit is at work in my life, out of it comes love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. So commit these to memory, use these as a checklist, hold it up to your parenting skills, hold it up to the way you treat your coworkers, hold it up to the way uh, you treat your spouse, hold it up to the, the temperament that's in your home and find out, are you walking in a spirit-filled manner? Let's take a look at these final two tonight. First of all, meekness. Meekness is strength under control. It's acting in a manner that's gentle and mild and even-tempered. We think of meekness, I want you to think of strength under control. Sometimes people can think that meekness is the same as weakness. It's not, it's totally different. 
Meek isn't a term that would be considered a kind word in our society today. It's not used the way that it was used in the Bible. Meek would generally be a a put down to someone who's maybe a a person with no spine or a person who can't stand up for themselves or a person who's become a doormat letting people walk all over. They're very meek and quiet. And we would say that almost as a a put down on someone. That's not the case at all when it comes to the way that God views meekness. This is the ability to have your way in a situation, but you choose to defer and allow God to, to work it out. This is the ability to maybe put someone in their, in their place or maybe put someone, uh, call someone out on something, but it's choosing to put that strength under control. This isn't necessarily a person's outward behavior or ne- even necessarily their relation to fellow man, but uh, it has more to do with our relationship with God first and foremost. Meekness is power that's harnessed in loving and respectful actions. You think of Jesus Christ when people came to him and spoke to him. They'd ask questions, sometimes setting him up, uh, sometimes truly seeking. But he always treated them with kindness and respect. Even those that were false teachers that were coming in to try to trap him, he would still give them enough truth and wisdom to point them in the right direction, and he treated them with kindness and respect. Jesus knew everything and he could have easily at any point put someone on the spot or called them out or embarrassed them in some way or had a witty comeback to them that would uh, really put them in their place, but he chose not to. He kept his strength under control. My dad's here tonight. If you had to have an opportunity to meet my dad, be sure to meet him before you leave. Uh, I can probably count on one hand the number of times that my dad has ever raised his voice at me in his life. It happened two or three times and then from then on it was just a look a long glaring stare that lasted for too long. And then you just knew, okay, I've messed up. I'm going to dial it back a notch. My dad, I've rarely seen him get angry or lose his temper. Uh, He he made a decision a long time ago. He would never get upset with people. He would always get upset with things. And so I remember as a kid, um, uh, my job in the summertime was to take care of the the house or take care of the yard around the house and stuff like that. We had... uh, six acres of land that I would have to mow on a tractor and then after I was done, I'd have to weed eat it and if I let it go too long, I'd have to actually rake the yard and then bag it up and it was a big, huge mess and I hated it like every teenager does. Sometimes I would get to the end of the uh, uh, cutting the grass and I wouldn't want to weed eat so I'd take the, the weed eater and I'd, I'm in church and I've already asked for forgiveness for it. I would purposely break the weed eater so I didn't have to weed eat And I would go and I'd say, hey, Dad, the weed eater doesn't work. And he'd mess with it. And he'd pull on the pull string for a while and stuff like that. And he'd take it apart. And he'd spray stuff in there. I'm knowing myself. I already cut one of the wires on the ignition or something in the back there. I messed with it in some way. Flooded it with gas so it wouldn't start so I didn't have to weed eat. Uh, one time, I'll, if I live to be 100, I'll never forget this moment. Uh, my dad uh, took the weed eater by the handle. He was standing beside his shop, and he'd been working on it for probably 20 minutes or so, and he couldn't get it to start. It might have been my fault or not. I don't remember in this particular instance. But I remember he grabbed it by the handle, and like you see those Olympians with the hammer throw, and they start making circles with it like that. He took the handle of the weed eater, started making circles like this, and he slung it up against this side of a concrete building, and it just shattered into 200 pieces and I was just like yes and then he did something terrible he pulled out his wallet and he grabbed $200 bills and he goes go get a new eater and finish it I was just like no (laughs) he didn't raise his voice he didn't get mad he didn't get upset he didn't get bent out of shape he didn't pour it out on me 
And I think if you asked my dad, he would say he probably didn't always keep his temper in check the way that he should have. But for me as a kid, I, I thought to this myself. My dad never raised his hand to me in anger, never committed any form of abuse or anything like that. I got plenty of spankings in my day, which I guarantee you I wholeheartedly deserved. No doubt about that. But I always knew that if I had something coming my way, my dad was going to give it to me. He didn't have to raise his voice. He didn't have to make a show of force. He didn't have to take his belt in his hand or anything like that. I just knew that it was coming. That right there is the, the best picture that I can give you of meekness. It's strength. It's having the ability to do something but choosing not to. It's about keeping your emotions under control. It's about having strength under control. And meekness described in the Bible really has three different attitudes. First and foremost, it's our uh, submissiveness to the will of God. If you take a look at Colossians chapter 3, verse number 12, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved and bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness and longsuffering. It's allowing God to have his will, to have his way, and it's a submissiveness to the will of God, allowing God to work in us and through us. We also see that it's in a form of teachability. James chapter one, verse number 21, wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your soul. So it's a submissiveness to God first and foremost. Secondly, it's the ability to be teachable. I want God to be able to change in my life something that's wrong. I want the Holy Spirit by the way of the word of God to be able to show me blind spots that I have in my life and I wanna be open and receptive to that. If I have a brother who comes to me and says, hey, pastor, I'm concerned about this area of your life or, hey, I saw this, I'm not really sure uh, what's going on there, but I wanted to, to keep you in check with that. I appreciate that because I wanna have a meek and teachable spirit. You see, pride kills any meekness that we could ever possibly hope to have and we need to maintain a spirit of teachability. Next, it's also a consideration of others. Ephesians chapter four, verse number two, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love. So again, it's the idea that I'm putting other people before myself. I might have a right, but I choose not to exercise that right. I might have the ability to make a situation worse by saying something, but I choose not to do that. I might have the opportunity to have my will or have my way, but I choose not to in some way or another because I want to be considerate of other people. It's important to understand that meekness is not weakness. Meekness is actually great strength. It's the ability to withhold exercising my strength or exercising my way and choosing maybe to love someone or prefer another person or to allow the Holy Spirit more time to work in someone's life. And again, if we look for a person who perfectly manifested this, it's in the person of Jesus Christ. We see that Jesus had every capability to have his will, to have his way, but many times he deferred to others in a spirit of love humility, and meekness. The opposite of meekness is dominance. It's the need to have my way all the time, to show who's boss. And let me help you fellows that are married. Being the head of your home doesn't mean that you're dominant. It doesn't mean you call the shots. It doesn't mean you're the one to, to say what's up. It doesn't mean you're always the one who has to make every single decision. Being the head of your home means to lovingly lead your spouse and your children in a way that would honor God. It means at the end of the day, you take responsibility for everything that takes place under your roof. It means you're the protector, provider, and the carer for your home. And man, if something's broken my house, it's my fault. My kids have a deficiency or shortcoming in their life, it's my fault because I'm the head of my home. If my wife feels unloved or uncared for, it's my fault because I'm the head of my home. 
And at the end of the day, we have to take responsibility for that. And fellas, I just want to challenge you right now. If your marriage is ever struggling, you need to be the one that pushes the button and asks for help. You need to be the one that throws the flag and say, hey, pastor, everything's not good. Can we come in and talk about this? You're the one that should seek restoration because you're the head of your home. It's your God-given responsibility. It's not your God-given responsibility to be dominant. So we have the opportunity to exercise meekness. And again, meekness is something that comes from the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. As we get on to the uh, final virtue that we find in this, this passage of Scripture, number ninth, uh, the ninth one is temperance or self-control. This is a trait of resolutely controlling one's own sinful desires. Now, this is one that we don't really like to talk about so much because, first of all, we're selfish. Secondly, many of us struggle with self-control, self-discipline. So this is one of those things we would probably rather leave off or we'll just leave it on the end and, and, and call it good. We'll talk about love. We'll talk about joy. We'll talk about maybe peace. Maybe we'll talk about long-suffering or being more patient. But we don't like to talk about temperance because temperance means that something in our life is out of whack. We live in one of the most technologically addicted ages in all of human history where people can't walk... Uh, spend 10 minutes without touching their phone or finding out what notifications that they have or everything that dings automatically has to have an immediate response. And again, as parents, we need to teach and train our children on how to use technology appropriately. <laughs> Talking with Van a couple of weeks ago and he said to me, Dad, if somebody texts me, I have to text them right back because that would just be rude. Like immediately I got to text them back. No, you don't. You can let it sit for a couple of days if you want to. That's just unkind. No, it's not. It means that you have a life outside of your cell phone. Well, I know I don't want people to think like I'm upset with them or anything like that. Like, do you really just like not respond for mess to messages for like hours at a time? Yeah, man. What? And some of you are sitting here going like, I know, Pastor, you email me and text me all the time, and I never respond. Like, I know you do. Maybe we should send them to your house, and you could give them some some training on that. I don't know. But we live in a society today where people have little to no self control when it comes to anything. Uh, to do with, with, with the internet, social media. Uh, we live in the most uh, pornography-addicted society that's ever been in all of human history. And it's, it's, it's a cancer in America. It's rotting the core of our nation. And I don't say that with uh, any sense of hyperbole or anything like that. I, I'm, I'm legitimately, legitimately confused as how everything that we know about pornography, how it's still legal in America because it is so destructive on 10 million different levels. And part of the problem is there's little to no self-control when it comes to dabbling with any sort of sin, especially pornography, self-control goes out the window. Uh, and not only is, is pornography a, a sin of a lack of self-control or temperance, it's also a sin in the fact that it is adultery and it's dangerous. You need to talk to your kids about it. You need to protect your kids against it. We need to, to make sure that our own heart and mind is right first but it doesn't stop at social media and pornography. It could go on to any other area of our life, whether it's our health, not taking care of ourselves, whether it's eating too much food, whether it's sleeping too much, whether it's not sleeping enough, uh, whether it's neglecting the things in our life that are important, little to no self-control or balance in any area. And temperance is the uh, ability to control those sinful desires or to see when something's getting out of balance or out of whack. Have a, 
friend of mine that pastors a church that travels far too much and speaking out at conferences and things along those lines. He said, this year I'm going to dial that back because I don't feel like I've been able to give a lot of time to my church family and to my family the way that I should. I thought, man, good for you. Glad to hear that because he had little self-control in his own travel schedule that he had set. And so again, it's not necessarily one of those things we can look at and go, oh, wow, that, that must be a sin. It could be something as simple as maybe, uh, I, I know people who, uh, I was talking to a guy this past week, he said, I want to invite my cousin to church, but she goes to the gym every single Sunday morning for hours, and that, because of that, she can't make it to church. Well, now, that's something that's really good. Maybe going to the gym and taking care of your health has competed with, with God in an area, and now it's out of balance, and now that's not temperance, and now it's become an idol, and it causes you a big, huge mess. So when we look at it, it might not necessarily be something that on the surface we could say, well, that's sinful, but at the end of the day, it's one of those things that has taken control of us where we no longer have control over ourselves. I think it's very, very healthy for folks to go through a, a media fast in your home where we don't watch any television shows for uh, maybe a month or so. Some people are like, a month? What? Uh, yeah, I think it's healthy. Uh, there are times for our kids, it's like, hey, this is a no electronics week. What are we going to do all week? <laughs> Anything you want. How about that? You know, because so many times we've gotten, again, out of balance with something like that. Is it a sin to watch a television show? I don't think so, as long as it honors the Lord and doesn't pollute your mind. But is it okay to watch three, four, five hours of television and neglect your Bible reading? It's a sin every time. So again, when we look at this, uh, it has to be something that, again, we look at self-control, temperance. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse number 9 says, but if they cannot contain or have self-control, let them marry, for it's better to marry than to burn. Paul gives a challenge that if you're involved in sexual sin, it's a better thing for you to be married and stop sexually sinning than to continue to burn in lust. That word, uh, if they can't contain themselves, is the word that we find for temperance. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse number 25, every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate, in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. He says those that strive for the master are temperate in all things. Uh, the Greek word that's used for uh, the word temperate here is the word enkratia. Uh, the word, root word of enkratia is the word krato, and krato means to seize or to arrest, to grab a hold of and hold on to and not let go. That's the idea behind being temperate. I'm going to take my selfish, self-centered, sinful desires, and I'm going to arrest them and hold them back and not let them go. That's what the idea of being temperate is. And again, if we find ourselves out of balance in some area, we need to repent, make that right before God, and bring it back, uh, the Bible says, into subjection. Oftentimes we feel as if giving in to our sinful desires is self-freedom, but it's actually self-slavery. <laughs> I know times where I've been on uh, these goofy diets that people go on from time to time, and I'll be admit I've been on plenty of goofy diets in my day. And you're on some diet maybe where you're not supposed to eat bread or you're not supposed to have sweets. And you see somebody, man, with a triple scoop hot fudge sundae with whipped cream off the top, and you look and you go, Oh, that would be so nice. I would love to just put my face in that and just smear it all over my face and then lick my fingers when I'm done and then grab the hot fudge and get it under my fingernails. I'm like, mmm, mmm. And you sit there just mouth-watering watching somebody eat like that and you go, ooh, how free they are to eat that way. How nice that would be, right? Right? 
And we, here's the worst part. Some of you might not have ever thought that about a hot fudge sundae. I have, but uh, maybe you haven't. <laughs> but oftentimes we look at people in sinful, immoral relationships and you go, wow, how free they are to be able to do what they want. <laughs> Here me as a Christian, I'm waiting around on another believer to date so that we can get married. Look at them, they, they can just pick anybody that they want off the internet and just go be happy and be free. Oh, look at that guy. He's got his Sunday mornings. He can go surfing. He can go hang out. I've got to go to church. And how, mu- how nice it must be f- like him to just be able to be free and do whatever you want. Maybe you thought about your giving and you think to yourself, man, if I didn't give 10% of everything that I own to the Lord, what could I do with that money? Like, man, my coworker just bought a brand new car. How nice it must be to be free. And we look at sin and we say to ourselves, man, what, how it must be so self-liberating to be able to choose like that. But you're not choosing, when you choose sin, you're not choosing freedom. You're choosing another form of self-slavery. When you choose sin as your master, you're just creating yourself under a fake, phony master that will let you down every single time. And so there's no pleasure in sin long-term. The Bible says there's pleasure in sin for a season. It'll be good for a minute, but it's not gonna help you long-term. That hot fudge Sunday might taste good for a minute, but you have too many of them, you're not gonna be able to fit in your pants. And you're gonna be embarrassed when you go to buy clothes the next time. You're gonna feel terrible about yourself. And then you're gonna realize that your inability to, to restrain your sinful desires is a sin before God. And it's not just a bad habit that you have. The Bible calls it sin. And again, I'm not preaching about too many hot fudge Sundays tonight. I'm preaching about lack of self-control. And this is something, again, doesn't come by automatically. It's not something I can just work on trying harder to do better. It's not about finding some diet on the internet that I can get on. It's about long-term self-control. And again, I haven't found a diet that works long-term other than a lifestyle change. I haven't seen a devotional guide that'll change your life in 14 days. It's gonna be a day-by-day walk with Jesus every single day for the rest of your life. Every single day. And when it comes to abstaining from sin, I can have every accountability partner and every boundary in, in the world, but if I don't fix my sinful heart and allow the Holy Spirit to do surgery on my heart, I'm gonna continue to fall back into sin again and again and again and again. And so it's not a matter of self-will or I'm just gonna try harder or do better. It's about the Holy Spirit doing his work. And again, you only get the fruit of the Spirit when you're walking in the Spirit. You can't continue in your foul, filthy, disgusting sin and then see temperance or see peace or see love or joy. It doesn't work that way. You're forfeiting peace when you choose sin. You're forfeiting joy when you choose sin. You're forfeiting temperance when you choose to sin. When it comes to our lifestyle, we need to ask ourselves, this question, is the flesh in control or is the spirit? (laughs) Is this me just wanting to have my way or is this the Holy Spirit at work inside of me? Is it my desire to please and honor the Lord with this or is it my desire to please and honor myself with this? That's a determination whether or not we're walking in temperance or not. And again, this temperance is one of those things we don't like to talk about because discipline isn't a hot topic for anybody. But at the end of the day, we have to say, God expects me to be temperate. God expects me to be self-control. 
temperance is seen in our words, our thoughts, and our actions. You might say to yourself, well, I don't struggle with any sin. I don't, I don't actually do any of those things. Do you think about it? Do you continue in your mind to act out sinful thoughts, sinful actions in your own mind? Are there thoughts that you have in your mind that aren't pleasing to the Lord? Are there thoughts that you have in your mind that are more in line with what this world has to offer instead of what God has to offer? Are the, mind, the thoughts that you think in your mind, are they thoughts of, I'll never be good enough. I'm, I'm a loser, I'll always be a loser. Or maybe I'm not successful by uh, the world's standards. Uh, maybe I'll never drive a, a nice car like that. Maybe I'll never have a big house like that. Hey, maybe I'll never have kids. Maybe I'll never get married. Maybe I'll never have this or that. But those thoughts that you have, you're subscribing to the world's view of success. And that right there, even though they're just thoughts, is a lack of temperance. When you buy into the lies of the devil, and the first thing to go is your thoughts. Your thoughts travel to your heart, and the Bible says, keep your heart, protect it with all diligence, because out of it are the issues of life. So you gotta protect your heart, which starts by protecting your thoughts. Temperance is the need to live in the world, but not be of the world. I have to live in this sinful, sin-sick world. I have to. But here's the great part about it. This is the mission field that you and I are called to. I don't have to just grind it out until I get to heaven one day. No, I get the opportunity to, to help liberate as many people as I can from the garbage and cesspool of this world. I get to point them to the one that can provide an everlasting hope in Jesus Christ. I don't have to just endure. I get to be a part of what God's doing. But here's the thing. I cannot buy into what this world is selling. I just can't. I can't buy into what this world deems as success. I just can't. I can't afford myself to get in financial debt and borrow money that I don't have to buy things that I don't need to impress people that I don't like. I can't afford that. And you know what? I don't have to because I'm not buying into what this world says makes one successful. I want to honor the Lord. I want to make sure that my life falls in line with what God's word says. And to do that, I have to be temperate because I can't buy in to what this world is selling. Final thought here tonight. The opposite of temperance is impulsiveness and indulgence. Has anybody here ever experienced buyer's remorse? Three or four of us have. The rest of us chose not to be honest in church. You bought something, you thought to yourself, ooh, I need that. You buy it, and you're just like, what am I going to do with this? This wasn't what I thought it was going to be. I thought this was going to be better than it was. But we were so quick to jump on that. You know the funny thing about sin? Sin always has buyer's remorse, 100% of the time. I have never in my entire life ever engaged in sin that at the end of it, I thought, that was a good call. I would totally do that again. 10 out of 10, totally do it again. I've never done that. Every single time I say, oh, I know better. How did I believe that? How did I get sucked into that? What made me go away from everything that I've known my entire life? Sin always has buyer's remorse. 
You know why? Because we're indulgent. I deserve this. Biggest lie the devil sells you. I deserve this. It's funny. Sometimes I talk with people and they say, I just want God to give me what I deserve. Oh, friend, you do not want what you deserve. I promise you that. Because you and I deserve death and hell. That's what we deserve. I want God to be gracious. I just wish God was fair. No, you don't. You don't want God to be fair. You want him to be merciful. I promise you. Many times we say, well, I deserve this. Again, Christians come to a place sometimes where what God's given them is different than what they actually want right now. And I can't tell you how many times I've sat across the table from somebody about to do something really stupid, and they say this, don't I deserve to be happy? Don't I deserve that? Hmm. Entitlement. It's the opposite of temperance. Indulgence, the opposite of temperance. Impulsiveness, the opposite of temperance every single time. But you know what? You and I do that often. What we have to do is we have to put to death our own selfish desires. Anytime you feel entitled to something, please check your heart and realize that is nasty, filthy, disgusting pride that is looking to wreck every aspect of your life. Anytime you feel like X will make you happy and it's something other than Jesus Christ, please know you're setting yourself up for a lie. And buyer's remorse is just right around the corner. It might take a couple weeks, it might take a couple months, it might take a couple years, but you will get bitten by sin every single time. So run from it. And temperance is about me restraining, seizing, arresting my sinful desires and not letting them go. And again, I'm not just white knuckling it and hoping it doesn't happen again. I'm actively choosing to make myself dead to sin and alive to Christ. Romans chapter six is your roadmap for that. And I can walk in temperance. Not because I'm good, but because the Holy Spirit is inside of me producing good fruit. Again, as we take a look at this list that we have here, remember all these are interconnected. If you're not temperate, if you have no self-control, you're not gonna be able to have joy because sin steals your joy every single time. If you're not meek and you d- decide to show your dominance and show your, how strong you are and how much of a boss you are, please know you'll never have the peace that you desire because you forfeit that whenever you fall into sin. You don't want to be gentle because gentleness shows how weak you are. You want to put on this uh, external persona of uh, being this really hard, rough exterior that you have. Please know that when you do that, you'll forfeit love somewhere along the way because you can't be harsh, ugly, and judgmental and be loving at the same time. You're going to have to give up one to get the other. You see, the fruit of the Spirit is all interconnected one with another. They feed off of one another. They grow stronger together. And the fruit of the Holy Spirit is not something you and I can do on our own. We need God's help. Here's the most important thing in the world tonight. If you're here tonight and you do not know for sure that you're saved, first of all, you don't have the Holy Spirit inside of you if you're not saved. You couldn't produce these things on your, this list with any lasting effect if you tried your hardest. But God loves you. He wants to save you from your sin. And he wants to begin to produce in you good fruit. So if you're here tonight and you do not know for sure that you're saved, please do not leave here tonight until you know for sure your sins are forgiven. But for those of us that are children of God, let's take a look at this list tonight and say, hey, where's an area where I'm deficient? 
And then I'm gonna pray and ask God to help me to put to death the areas of my life that are keeping me from being proficient in these areas. I wanna ask God to expose to me what's keeping me back from being able to be long-suffering or be loving. What's stealing my peace? What's robbing my joy? And I want God to identify that for me so that I can give the Holy Spirit free reign in my life to do exactly what he wants as he wishes. Commit these to memory. Highlight, circle, star, underline these in your Bible. Come back to these on a regular basis because the Spirit-filled life is the life that you and I both desire. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.